We all have a story to tell. Let's tell yours. Welcome to the Intellectual People Podcast with your host, Jason. Come together and listen to journey stories and more from interesting people. Welcome your host, Jason. I often post on various audio forums, and I want to take this time to just thank them. In no particular order, they are audiosciencereview.com, audioroundtable.com, audiocircle.com, audiofilestyle.com, avnirvana.com, diyaudio.com, gearspace.com, and the Parts Express Forum. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate your viewership and enjoy. Today on the Intellectual People Podcast, I have Dan Wright of ModWright.com. How are you doing today, Dan? Good. Great. Good. Tell us what ModWright is. ModWright uh, began as a hobby, to be perfectly honest. It has become uh, my passion and my livelihood. Um, basically, it's my many ways an expression of my creative and technical self um but uh you know ultimately in its in its uh current state uh we design and manufacture high-end audio electronics for the uh, audio aficionado um at um yeah people say i realize not everybody watching our audio files but they say well this for like pro use or or for you know your car now it's 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 home use high-end audio and we'll get into that but sure. uh you know i started off doing mods last name is right not too creative <laughs> um yeah dan let's go back to your early childhood were you always into music it's an interesting question honestly no more than anybody else really i suppose um, honestly, it wasn't like a huge part of my life. Um, the, the interest really in, in music and audio came a little bit later, probably in college. College? Yeah. yeah. And which came first, music or the equipment? I'd say music came first. Okay. And, uh, yeah, followed by the desire for better sounding music, which, you know, I had my eye-opening moment right like everybody does it seems and um yeah that's kind of where it started when was your eye-opening moment i think this true eye-opening moment was the first time i heard a tube amp and it was a delita 302b um i bought it used in portland and uh it just blew my mind you know hmm. i i'd had a decent stereo before so what i thought was decent you know both speakers and sony equipment and whatever and, you know and um, I thought that was that was you know pretty cool. Um, but the first time I heard tubes, I was I was really blown away, and it just became kind of a sickness from there, right? So your big moment with a tube amp was while you were in college. It was actually actually after college. In college, um, huh, in college I had a boombox and a and a disc man, and you know I was poor, right? And so, uh, graduate engineering school, and I was like, "Cool, you know, I got some money." So I bought a pair of these Bose um, something corner corner bookshelf things that I thought from Sears, from Sears, right? And that was cool. 
Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the Sony receiver and all that. So um, then it had some Adcom gear, but like I said, it wasn't really until I heard the Jolita that I was just like, whoa, this is, you know, there's some really great sound out there. And that started, that started down the slippery slope of how can it be better? And uh, yeah. You mentioned engineering school, mechanical or electrical? Ironically, mechanical. Okay. Even more ironically, I started out as electrical. Well, I'll back up a bit even further, even more funny. Um, <laughs> spent a year overseas in Australia uh, as an exchange student. At the time, I wanted to be a journalist. So I was going to be a writer. And then the, <laughs> then the engineer at the end of the road, he, you know, that I shoveled his walk when I was a kid, and he was an engineer. I was respected, right? And uh, I think my father put him up to this, to be honest. But he says to me, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm going to go to, going to, go to uh, University of Missouri, Columbia. I'm going to study journalism. He says, yeah. I'm not going to make any money. Oh, that's okay. But, you know, the seed is planted, right? I'm not going to make any money. That kind of sucks. So then I got to looking at it. I said, what do you do? And he told me. And I thought, pretty cool. That was good enough. So I was going to be a computer engineer, I decided. So I uh, started off at the local university in Anchorage. Um, and that's where I was heading. I went up to Fairbanks, which is the real engineering school where I grew up in Alaska. And uh, for the double E's that are listening and the math majors that are listening, they're going to laugh. Um, they weren't speaking my language, you know. They were not speaking my language at all. And um, so I talked to the dean of mechanical and I said, what do you guys do? And he told me, I'm like, I can relate to that. That's cool. So I changed majors and... Um, and it all clicked, you know. And uh, I worked hard in college. I graduated with honors. Um, and, uh, you know, mechanical engineering was something I, I really enjoyed. So. What was your first job out of school? <laughs> um, in Fairbanks, there's not a lot of manufacturing, right? Um, <laughs> so I did um, an HVAC design for an A&E firm. And... Um, so yeah, the the <laughs> probably the most I won't say this. I shouldn't say that. Not the sexiest mechanical engineering. Um, you know, it was fine. Um, unfortunately, once I started there, that's the work that I knew. And when I moved to Oregon, um, that's the work I continued to do. Gotcha. Um, it was boring. I didn't. Uh, it wasn't what I had in mind. You know, it wasn't the robotics or the or the sexy job that I had in mind. And I think because of being bored at work and enjoying audio, um, I started tinkering with my own stuff. And it started with that 302B. Because okay. tube circuits are pretty straightforward. So, um, so, yeah. What you mentioned robotics. Is that what you really had a passion for? Was the robotics and automation side of engineering? That was that was something that interested me. Yeah, I was an avid mountain biker too. Um, my senior project was on vibration analysis and and designing the, the uh, you know suspension system for a mountain bike. I did okay. all the math and simulated all this stuff. So you know I had different different plans. But you know you graduate and you want to make money. Right. And, uh, you know, Design Alaska was the chic office, and it was it was cool. I was rubbing shoulders with architects, and, you know, it was a job. Sure. And uh, 
And it was a good place to start. And I, I don't, uh, I don't like to regret things in life because I think to do that, you know, well, I wish I had done this. Well, if I'd done that, everything would be different. That's true. And I like how I like how things turned out. Okay. I like my kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so. a good thing. <laughs> Hopefully they so, like you too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> At what you said you modded that Jolita tube amp. Mm-hmm. And was it something that you started off simple with a simple modification or what oh, did yeah. you do exactly? Yeah. I mean, I had, I had a basic knowledge of electronics, right? From even mechanical engineers, we have a W course we take. And um, so I had basic, a basic knowledge, but it was really simple. You know, upgrading capacitors first of all. A lot of guys have done this. You know, I mean, anybody with a soldering iron can can do this stuff. Right. Um, and so, it really was a lot of self-teaching and, and learning via the internet, audio asylum. You know, this is back in like, oh, let me see here, ninety-eight, ninety-nine, maybe. And uh, so, just you know, it was just a hobby, like I said, and, and learning and sharing with people online. Um, and um, you know, it started. It started really simple. Um, from from the tube gear, it became digital gear. Became the Pioneer DVD player, right? And the Link Back. Uh, some of you may remember the MSB Link Back. It was basic, you know, pretty affordable stuff. And then, did you start at some point modding people, other people's equipment? Yeah. And was yeah, that was... free? <laughs> well. Like a lot of things, you know, some guys go, hey, can you change the, you know, the caps on my Julia? I said, sure, man, like 50 bucks, right? I mean, it was just, you know, cover the parts, you know, I'm just some guy doing, you know, I'm just playing around, right? Right. Um, but not like I was a, felt like I was a professional charging for my time. So it was just kind of one of those things where, cool, I can make enough extra money to buy more parts to do more with my gear. Um, so, yeah, the Julia was the start, and then... Um, and then the uh, the digital source, you know, the Pioneer and the uh, and the uh, Link Deck, uh, and it was all just it was just replacing parts. That's really all it was, and you know, knowing what sounded better and what made a difference, and then you know, beefing up power supplies made a difference. So, I mean, I really did not have a great knowledge of of uh, electrical engineering and of audio engineering then. Um, right. That came with time. Were you doing dozens of these pieces of equipment at one point? And that- oh, eventually, eventually, yes. Well, before at, 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 before no, 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 before Modrite, it was you know it was a handful. Of, okay, you know, it was a handful of things, and uh, like I said, it was just very, very just low key. I mean, it was um, you know, uh, just yeah. And did you at one point go? I could do this for a living. I think that came a little bit later. It okay. was it was kind of like a <laughs> frog in the pot of boiling water kind of thing. To be perfectly honest, um, I didn't realize the water was getting warm until it was. And so wait a minute, I'm actually making a little money here. Okay. Um, so like I said, then it was from the Jolita, um, you know, the the Pioneer, and then I started doing a few more of the of the Pioneer players, the Link Dax. I think that's that's where I realized I could make a little bit of money. And okay. I started doing probably dozens at that point over time. I started doing dozens of these pieces, maybe 99-ish, right? 
um, because the business license was taken out in January of 2000. Okay. And that's when Moderate was born. I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but it was this gradual process, like I said, of, of basically, you know, this hobbyist that was just having fun, you know, it was a side gig, right? And, um, but the side gig became, yeah, it became profitable. I was like, you know, I could, I could do this. And I find myself at work, you know, the work was so cookie cutter that I was doing. At the time, what I enjoyed most was the construction administration was in the field, um, working with the contractors and, and uh, overseeing, because I had moved to Portland by then, it was more commercial work we were doing. I enjoyed that, but the work I was doing at the office was very, was very cookie cutter. And uh, I'm sorry guys, you ever watching this video, it was boring. <laughs> <laughs> And, and quite frankly, you know, I'd, my mind wasn't, you know, all there because I was thinking about what I really enjoyed. Sure. And and that's something I've come to realize about my, about myself. That's key is that I've got to I've got to be passionate about what I'm doing. And I think those that are fortunate enough, um, I respect yourself as well with this, if not your day job, um, that if you're passionate about it. It's going to be fulfilling, a, mm -hmm. and you're going to do it well. For sure. Um, if you're punching a clock, you're working a desk job, you're doing whatever, and you're just going through the motions, you're going to be fine. But right. it's not the same. It's not a life I wanted to live. And I realized that you know, um, and I, not a big risk taker, right? Uh, it's not like I said, okay, I'm going to take you know a million bucks. And I'm going to start this. I'm going to start this thing, right? Right. Um, and that's and that's the funny thing was that it was such a gradual. I use the analogy of a frog in the boiling water, but the it didn't require any real capital to start because um, there was no real advertising, just the internet and word of mouth, and it just kind of grew organically. Um, the product that uh, pushed me over the edge. And it launched Modrite was the Perpetual Technologies P3A DAT. This was a product, uh, Perpetual Technologies was founded by Mark Shifter, Walter Lederman, and Peter Mabbitt. Um, uh, Walter Underwood Wally, uh, many know in the audio community. Uh, Peter Madnick went on to do, he was Audio Alchemy. Uh, later, Audio Alchemy redefined, he worked for Constellation, done a lot of interesting things. Um, Mark Shifter did a number of things as well. Um, so these are the three three guys that owned Petro Technology in 8123. Um, Walter, through the forums, well, backing up a little bit, P3A DAC was a great DAC. It was about 900 bucks out of it, something like that. And um, it was the first really decent piece of digital gear that I had. And um, I realized that, man, if you replace the op amps, and the resistors, you do a few simple things. This thing's really good, mm. right? And so, yeah, I'm sharing all this. It's not like a big secret or anything, you know. But people are sending me these things, and for I don't know what I was charging, you know, a few hundred bucks maybe, something like that, to go through and replace them all. You know, the and and uh, Catac resistors, and you know, all this good stuff, and the really expensive Burr Brown op amps. You know, most people were were not comfortable taking a soldering iron to their their gear, say it's right. to me, right? Well, yeah, I had them stacked to the ceiling, and I'm like, really? man, this is this isn't bad. You know, I can make some money doing this. 
in my basement, right? Right. All the all the secrets are out now. The secret beginner, but yeah, I like a lot of businesses. I started in the garage, you know, the garage or the basement, right? Sure. It was in the basement, well house in Portland, Portland, Oregon. And um, but the cool thing was, and this is where you know, very serendipitous. Uh, Walter Lederman and I will I will forever be grateful to Walter for this. Not entirely out of his own selfish interest, but that's fine. He goes, hey, he says, um, you know. Uh, if you want to come to CES and bring one of your modified pieces, he said, we may be interested in endorsing your work. So he's looking at it. Walter's a sharp businessman. He really is. He is. Um, you know, everybody knows Wally, okay? Wally's a good guy. He's a sharp guy. I've been to his he, house. Right? Right. <clears throat> um, and he's like, listen, you know, in Walter's mind, it was, hey, you know, there's a way to sell more product from AV123. Absolutely. And for me, it was an opportunity to to you know take things to the next level. So, um, so you know the step off the cliff more or less was to buy that ticket to Vegas. I think I bought a round trip ticket without even a hotel room. I think I stayed. <laughs> I think I flew in on a, on a Saturday morning and flew out early Sunday morning or something. Wow. I flew there with my modified deck, and I met with Peter and Walter and Mark. They were very nice gentlemen. Were very welcoming. I left the unit with Peter to have him look at it. I checked out CES. I came back, and um, you know, Mark was really Mark Shifter was the most gracious one uh, about the whole thing. He was the president of AV, of Professional Tech, and he said, "Dan, he said we like what you're doing. Peter approves." Um, he said, "We know these things work. It was too expensive to do it this way, right? Which is which is." how a lot of mods work. Right. If you manufactured a product the way I was modifying them, it would be, you know, two thousand dollars or something. Nobody was going to pay that, right? That's why it worked. So Mark said, I will signature endorse on our website your modifications. Dan Wright is the only modifier that is allowed to do this and what we will honor the warranty. There was my golden ticket, man. My really want the moment right there. Wow. It was cool. It was really cool. So I went home and I was like, wow, right on. Got the biz license. You know, Moderate LLC was formed right then. I believe I formed, yeah, I formed it. I formed it as a limited liability company um, because I knew that I needed some form of protection. Um, and this is this is true of, of most people in business know this. You either a corporation or you're an LLC to give yourself protection. You know, to quit the corporate shit. So anyway, um, so that's what I did and. And Mark, true to his word, you know, on the website, signature on the on the deal, and um, and they went, you know, two or three stacks to the ceiling, right? And um, <laughs> this is what makes me laugh is Mark's like, we don't need any. Walter's like, no, no, we we do, we 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 do get a kick, we do get a cut. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Walter. Love you, buddy. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we agreed on, you know, I think I raised the price a bit, and they got a cut. And that was totally cool. Uh, still making money, and um, and then um, stereophile. I'm blanking. Uh, I'll think of it later. Stereophile writer did a piece on the P1A and P3A. It was the P3A DAC and the P1A digital processor. Okay. And the P1A was going to be the room correction and all this stuff, and it's a great product. Uh, didn't go quite the way they wanted, but the P3A DAC 
which was just a was just to support the T1A, really was a great problem. Um, so he had reviewed it, and Mark said, "Hey, if you want, um, they'll do a follow up, and you know, mention you." He said, uh, "You know, just model my unit." And I'm like, oh, "Mark, well, who's going to pay for this?" You know, I'm so ignorant, right? And Mark's like, "Listen, we'll sell you a unit at cost. Just you know, suck it up, right?" So learning, learning curve. Uh, so I did, and um, and he wrote a follow up uh, that was published in Stereophile, and man, to be published in Stereophile in like 2000, 2001, that was that was all it took. It was the coolest thing. So um, I'm trying to think of how long after that I started doing audio shows. Not long after that, but what sticks in my head is the first time somebody called and. It couldn't have been more than like a year or two after that. He goes, is this Dan Wright? You're famous. I'm like, really? Oh, damn. I'm famous. That's cool. There's <laughs> <laughs> some schmuck in his basement, but I'm famous. That's awesome. Um, but, but that's the beauty of the story is that was the tipping point, right? Because um, much more came, and it, and it grew organically from that. But the cool thing was, it, well, the funny thing was, I didn't have a business plan. I didn't formulate this grand plan to do this. It just organically evolved, and you know, and because of that, I made some mistakes along the way. You know, if I had to do all over again, of course, I'd do it very differently. But, um, but again, no regrets because things happen the way they happen. And uh, um, so yeah, so from there, it was it was from there things snowballed. Um, I was I was mod right the modifier for a time of course, right. And at this point, you're still at your house. You're working out of your Absolutely. basement. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. 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 And they're just shuffling in through the door. I mean, as fast yes. as you can mod them, they're coming in now. And and the noteworthy part is the business license was taken in January of 2000. I gave notice in August of 2000 at my engineering job. So I was doing well enough by August of that year that I could walk away from a pretty decent job. Sure. You know, and, and every day until you resigned, you were probably just thinking about mod, right? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That was, that was really that's, that's what, on your mind. That's where my heart was, you know, that's where my heart was, what I was passionate about because it's, I think anybody that, that like yourself with, with this, you know, it's your it's your baby, right? It's your right. it's your there's a part of you in it. And um, it's not just pride, it's it's um pride, yeah, but it's uh I don't know, giving birth to something that's uniquely you. It's very, very satisfying. For sure. Yeah. And what was the next step? You resign. Right. I resigned. My wife, I said, you know, I can I can do this. And my wife's a nurse, she was working too. I had no children at the time. Children didn't come until, um, let's see, children didn't come for about a few years. So, you know, in the, at that time, you know, <laughs> you could afford to live uh, and be okay. <laughs> right. Things, things have changed. Own a house, be all right. Uh, two professional salaries, well, one professional salary and one entrepreneur. But um, I'm not sure the exact dates or timeline, but... The next step was I started working with vacuum tubes, um, and there were several people along the way. Alan Kimmel 
being most key of which with many people, not a lot of people know Alan's name. Um, brilliant man, very private, uh, worked for Grom's Instruments for a time. Um, uh, he had published an article about the, the Alan Kimmel, the, the hybrid new stage. And, uh, you know, I built the circuit. It was, it was cool. It sounded really amazing. So I was trying, based on the Jolita, I was building different circuits, trying different things. Um, people that, you know, audio designers will tell you that tube circuits are fairly straightforward. They really right. are. Um, and the modifications to the Jolita, you know, went beyond parts upgrades to, you know, tweaking circuitry and whatnot. So that, that process evolved. Um, but, um, but yeah, the notion of how cool would it be to put tubes in a CD player, right? That was the next, that was the next quantum leap. Right. And, um, so, so yeah, that was, that was the next step. And that is also, um, the beginning of what became manufacturing later. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, yeah, that was, but that was the tube, tube, tube circuits were the next thing. And, um, yeah. Tube circuits within the CD players. Correct. Correct. I was working with tube circuits and then, you know, somebody said, man, could you do a tube P3A DAC? I'm like, that'd be wicked, but there's no room, right? This thing was the size of a, of a paperback book. Right. There was just no room. Um, I think, the first product that we did it with was um, the, uh, the Sony, I think it was the XA777 ES was the mm -hmm. first place where, where I experimented with it. And, uh, you know, I'd worked with some people, um, Alan and others that helped, you know, help me get a handle on some things. And, um, but yeah, that was, I went to a show and, Silverdale, I think it was uh, Bottlehead. The Bottlehead, um, it was the first RMF, but they didn't call it RMF. They called it um, the predecessor to RMF was BSAC, Battle State of the Art Conference. I'm forgetting the dates right now, but Doc, Doc B, Bottlehead put it on. And uh, I think there we had a, yeah, we had, it's been so long. It was the Sony Triple Seven. It was the Philips SACD One Thousand. It was the Sony Nine Thousand. Hmm. It, it evolved, but this process of putting tubes in CD players became a thing. Yeah, and not many people were doing it. No, right? there was a few high-end products. It was a French player, um, but it was all—it was really more, more about CD players at the time, right? And was that, was that your next big step, if you will? Yes, it was. Ate that up. Yeah. And it wasn't just it wasn't just replacing parts anymore. It was, you know, let's get out the, the power tools and let's drill holes and let's break right. into circuit and bypass and let's let's actually engineer some things. Right. Um, and that's where my education as a tube designer, I really started to learn more. So yeah, like I said, the Sony Triple Seven, the the Sony Nine Thousand uh, DVD player, the Philips SACD One Thousand, yeah, ton of those. When I say we, I took on a, a tech to help me um, with even with the P3A DAC mod. I got busy enough that I had a gentleman, John Garrett, you're watching this, John, many, many years we worked together. Wow. Um, and he basically retired, actually, 
I think it was in 19 or 20. It might have been during COVID. He was, he was, you know, it's a personal stuff. We worked together for many, many years. Um, so yeah, he was my right hand, helping me do the mods and then the tube mods. Um, and again, it just continued to grow. I didn't really advertise as such. It was word right. of mouth. And I'm thinking, my son is the is the benchmark. He's 18. So 03 was when we did our first. We released our first product, and it was a tube preamp, mm. and it was a circuit similar to that which we had been using in the in the CD players, um, using the same tube, the 5687 tube, which is a fairly unique one, um, and, and a really good tube that I still use sometimes today, but it's it's not made. Um, but yeah, the um, so the next step was the was the first product, which was the SWL 9.0 preamp. I remember it. Hmm. Did you do the entire circuit design on that? No, not entirely. No, this is where Alan Kimmel enters the picture. Ah, um, I got ahead of myself a little bit earlier. I had been using a different circuit that is fairly common. Um, Kind of a totem pole type circuit, uh, circuits that involve uh, tubes stacked on them on each other, working in tandem. Um, there's a whole number of, of these new circuits. There's totem pole they call them various things. And I came across Alan's article, which is still out there. Alan Kimmel Hybrid Muse Stage. And I had had at the time Atmosphere OTLs, um, which were really good. Uh, yeah. Ralph Carson great amps. And then I had a, a solid state amp from Sim Audio. I had a, a W5. And at that point, I'm like, well, there's the solid, solid state's not all bad. I was thinking of the AdCom the Sony I had, which is just garbage, right? I mean, AdCom made your ears bleed. Sorry, guys, but it did. Um, but the Sim amp was was sweet. And um, I was like, okay, there's wireless well, bass, there's power, there's drive here. This is cool. It's not that tube amps were bad. It's just that solid state's not necessarily bad either, right? right. I still wanted tubes. So I started playing around with uh, tube preamp circuits. And this way I came across the Allen Kimmel new state. And without getting too technical, the cool thing about that was it was a vacuum tube with a MOSFET on top. And the MOSFET, you know, there's still a totem pole of two devices, but the top device, instead of being a tube, was a MOSFET, and Alan designed it two ways. One had a pentode tube on top, and one had a MOSFET on top. And I loved the sound of a MOSFET on top because it gave the tube balls, man. I mean, it was it was <laughs> cool. You had bass, you had bandwidth, you had low distortion, <laughs> and so I cobbled together this simple preamp and ran it into you know the solid state amp, and I was like, this is the best I ever heard. Wow. The Jolita, the Jolita was cool. Atmosphere was was great. Um, but here I had that three-dimensionality of tubes, and I had the balls of solid state, and I had power, right? Mm. And it was it was uh, really eye-opening. And so, um, so, yeah, about the time my son was born, I I I called, I contacted Alan, I said, hey, you know, you know, what's what's the deal? I said, this is your design. I don't want to, you know, because well, that design is public, not is public domain. Um, but if you want to consult, we can we can take it further, and so that became the beginning of a very beautiful and long-lasting friendship and 
mentoring relationship. Um, to this day, you know, I'll email Alan, dude, I'm I'm stuck. You know, what's going yeah. on? And Alan's brilliant, and he'll he'll, you know, say, well, I'll try this or try that. And um, you know, I I know enough now. Sometimes like, no, Alan, that's just too complicated. That's just you know, <laughs> you're just being creative for the sake of being creative. That's crazy. But at the time, I I, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't have the knowledge. Alan has taught me an immense amount, and his his um, there are elements of our solid state uh, amps, the kernels of which, and, and whole circuits of which that are that are Alan's genius. Really, um, that go that are still used to this day. So, That's fantastic. so yeah, it was you know, I always want to give credit to Alan where it's due because. <laughs> Alan wouldn't even listen to this stuff. He just knew what would work, and he'd, you know, he'd say, "We'll try this," you know. And um, so, so the SWL9, at its heart, uh, was 5687 uh, was the hybrid new circuit, um, and the power supply design evolved. Um, you know, my contribution at that time really was taking a schematic and a concept to market is a lot of work. Um, Absolutely. The engineering is one thing, um, and it was a tougher job than I expected, you know. Sure. But the, the finished product, um, looking back now, it was kind of crude to me in many ways. The, the, the machining was okay. The it was very simple, but it was it was about a twenty five hundred dollar preamp mm -hmm. that uh, that was good, and uh, I sold some beta units, two box betas, and then I, you know, made the regular piece. Um, Again, CES, this would have been probably CES 03 or 04. I brought nine of them, I think. I put them in all these different rooms. I knew I knew enough to know that was one way to go about it. People are like, well, this is really great. Bring it. Hey, use it. Boom, 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 boom. And uh, pretty soon the word got out. The CES was really well attended back in the early 2000s. Back then, yeah. It was great. And... Um, yeah, like I said, it wasn't expensive. It was about you know, 25, 2500 And Underwood Wally sold a lot of them for me. Um, I'm grateful for him for, to him for that. But the word got out that it's supposed to be pretty good. We see it everywhere. And so it was mentioned in the in the show reports. So again, without really advertising, without meaning to promote myself, I called it guerrilla marketing. Yep. Um, just put it everywhere. And uh, and it lit up. So, one thing that I want to ask you about specifically, Dan, is you t you touched on it about taking a blueprint to market, right? Right. And over your right shoulder, there's a very elegant piece of equipment there, and I'm mm -hmm. not talking about what that is, but right. the the design of it and the manufacturing of it. I think it's important for people to know how much effort and that mm -hmm. equates to money, right, in that product. The, the, the electrical design of the circuit is one thing, yes. but the elegance of it is a whole nother product within itself. Mm -hmm. And is that something that you you did all of the casework design yes. and manufacture? You did. Yes. Okay. I have, um, early on, I had an idea of what I wanted the logo to be. And I paid a graphic designer to, to, you know, finalize it in a raster file, um, and everybody's like, "Well, you should, you know, 
you're manufacturing, you shouldn't be modding. You should be something else. I said, no, MWI, mod is what we are. And that logo, because I knew, like BMW, car doesn't say Bavarian Motor Works on it. You know what a BMW is by that logo. That's right. And to this day, people know that know who we are know what that is. So I knew the importance of that. Um, aesthetically, I like I like symmetry. I like clean lines. Mm -hmm. I like um, I like blue. I can um, tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a wonderful machinist uh, in in Ontario, Radisson, and I went to them and I said, "All right, you know, this is this is what I want." And um, you know, and he made little suggestions like, you know, well, what if we add a chamfer or this and that? Sure. Um, and they were really helpful, and they, they do beautiful work. Um, this is a product that that has since been discontinued, but it it embodies, um, you know, everything we do. This is the Elise uh, DAC, Elise tube DAC. Okay. Um, the tube sticking out of the top, again, kind of a signature of ours. With the players, there's no room to put the tubes in. So the tubes always stuck out, right? So a lot of our products still have tubes, you know, sticking to the top. Um, but to, to answer your, or to, to further expand on, on the blueprint, like you say, you have products that sound and work great, but are not sexy. Right. You have products that are sexy and sound okay. The ones that sell are the ones that are sexy. And there's plenty of sexy products that I just think are okay. Hmm. But if a product is not sexy, it will not sell. Now, that's not entirely true. There, there are a couple of manufacturers, I won't use names, that I think their aesthetics are, are, are simple. The price points are low, and the design is exceptional. Right. And they do well in, they do well in, that, in that realm. Um, you get above a certain price point, you know, these people have money. They want nice things. They want a nice-looking piece of gear in their music room, on their rack, whatever. And I realized that early on also. It had to look good. It also had to sound good. And I didn't think it should cost a fortune. So most of our products for the longest time were in about the $3,000 range, which is, you know, that's real money, okay? Sure. Um, but, you know, in the, in the early, you know, 2005-ish, whatever, when, you know, high-end gear was, say, 5 to 10, you know, over 10 was quite a bit. You know, right. Levinson, Krell, uh, and that stuff had its, and Macintosh, of course, that stuff had its pedigree, it had its, you know, and Levinson was very sexy. Um, Absolutely. And people would buy, would pay ten or fifteen, twenty thousand dollars for Levinson because it was, it was Levinson and it was sexy. Right. And so that wasn't lost on me. Um, but in addition to just the aesthetic, and the, you know, the aesthetic's important, but then you got to, form and function, right? You gotta deal with heat, you gotta deal with vibration, you gotta deal with space constraints. This is where I think my mechanical engineering really mm. came into play. Being okay. able to visualize, you know, think about the heat rejection and think about everything involved. Um, and with all due respect to digital and two double E's and digital engineers, these guys are brilliant. Um, and um, they have far more technical knowledge of, of you know, the inner workings of digital and these things than I do, but they don't always have a, a big picture approach to, right. um, you know, even things as simple as fit and finish. Well, doubles are brilliant, but have a very narrow focus. And so I'd like to think that, um, you know, my, my uh, mechanical engineering background was, was helpful and helped me have a more holistic approach. A gentleman from um, 
Canadian company is escaping me now. He is also a mechanical engineer. Um, he did quite well and it's beautiful stuff. And he said, what kind of engineer are you? I told him mechanical. Mechanical engineer is the best gear. He was, he was an Emmy also. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, I think a lot of bigger companies will have, you know, the, uh, the really sharp doubly who does a circuit design. And they've got a graphic designer, right? Or industrial designer they hire uh, right. to do the aesthetic. And then you've got, um, you know, some guy in SolidWorks that puts it all together. And then you get a marketing team that decides, well, we're going to do all this stuff. Well, I didn't have all that. Right. I had myself, right? With a 2D CAD program and a decent ability to visualize in three space. I yeah. don't know. I don't, I don't use SolidWorks even to this day. I wish really? I had it. I don't. I wish I had it. It's a great program. Um, but I haven't had the time to teach myself to use it. And I have chosen not to hire somebody to do it for me. I guess I'm very protective of wanting to do it all myself, whether it's, you know, to my own detriment probably, but, but it is. Um, so yeah, I, I've been kind of a, kind of a control freak, I guess, in, in terms of wanting to control every aspect of it. And it's a daunting thing to launch a new product. How many active products do you have today? or current, I should say. I'm thinking here, we've got an integrated and two, uh, one integrated, two dedicated power amps. We've got four levels of, of preamps. Mm. Um, and then we've got a, a very custom side. We've got um, the Ambrose line, which are two, uh, two monoblocks and a two preamp. And we've got two uh, headphone amps, a 300B headphone slash integrated amp and a push-pull design. So what that all adds up to a, a fairly diverse diverse range. Sure. Some of these products are a bit long in the two, so the 150SC has been around 12, 13 years, probably 14 years. And it still um, sells. It still sells. It's a great design. I think it, it's time to, I think it's time to re, redesign it and re, re-release it you know the basic sticking with the basic circuit design but i've there's ways it could be improved in, in a number of ways uh and we'll, and we'll get there you will yes yeah, so the problem is the market has changed um from 0305 you know it's as you know uh, many of you know i know it all too well from the business side um the demographic is shifting mm -hmm. aging and changing without a lot of fresh blood right yep. some young people by young i'm meaning even 30s and 40s maybe um and and those and there's a shift towards more integrated products you know the young people especially it's you know it's an ipad ipod you know streaming uh world right right and, and the audio files are also changing they're downsizing they're empty nesters they're you know um, and they want integrated amplifiers. Right. So our hottest selling products, we have two products that are hottest selling. One is the our integrated, our hybrid integrated amp, um, and our funnel stage, the PH9 funnel stage. Also, again, at that $3,000 magic price point. Mm -hmm. The integrated's not. It's close to nine. Eight right. Nine. That integrated is, you said sex appeal. That integrated to me is pure sex appeal. I'm real pleased 
with how that turned out. It is gorgeous. That that's a cool product. It's kind of a culmination of a lot of things, right? It is the amplifier stage of the 150 SE that's okay. about 12 years old. Okay. Um, it replaces the KWI 200, um, which was a MOSFET integrated at 200 watts. I took the controls and the basic aesthetics from that. I added our best amp stage. I retooled the, the casework to allow exposed heat sinks for better cooling so we could up the bias and whatnot, right? Mm. And then I added a tube, a tube preamp stage because it's got to have tubes. Right. Um, so I took, the, I took the basic aesthetic design of the 200 and I said, you know, let's thicken the faceplate. Let's expose the heat sinks. Let's, let's add some sex appeal. Um, there's just a little, little things, you know, I kept the digital displays, but I changed the aspect ratio and, and um, it, it's, it's the little things, but I was really pleased with, with how it came out. It sounds as sexy as it looks and um, it's been a big hit. So everybody has their own vision of how to test and evaluate equipment, right? Whether we're subjective or objective or right. a combination of both. How do you at ModWrite do that process? Honestly, the first thing I do is the rough draft is, is pretty much, <clears throat> I know what the circuit I want the circuit, I know what I want the circuit to be. Okay, okay. fine. So let's build it and let's test it and see if we can get the noise down. Noise is huge, you know, it can't be noisy. Get the noise floor down fine now let's measure the noise floor down let's get the distortion where we want let's get the bandwidth where we want okay that's the rough draft you know that's the pencil sketch if you will yep. and then let's build a mock-up and let's listen to it because that's where rubber really hits the road um I, I know a lot of products are designed um with measurement equipment and computer simulations and um and they think that is the ultimate, you know, the lowest distortion, the widest bandwidth. Oh, this is, you know, this is, we've done it. We haven't even listened to it yet, the engineer, but this is it. Um, but you listen to it and it's just like, maybe, you know, eh, it's great, right? Or maybe it's technically it's brilliant, but it leaves me cold. Right. You know? I've heard other manufacturers' products that are dead quiet, um, very detailed, very dynamic low noise floor and they leave me flat does not do it for me um some sound gorgeous but not you know not very um accurate and somewhere in between there for me is a happy medium um i like to say i'm just a a hair on the warm side of neutral is where i like to be okay i can't stand clinical but i don't i don't like the syrupy vintage sound either it's okay. It's not bad. Uh, a lot of tube amps have that beautiful sound because right. the distortion is high. It's the right kind of distortion, but it's high. Right. And the highs are rolled off and the bass is rolled off. It can sound great, but it's not my thing. So the short answer is, like I say, rough them the test equipment and then listen. And that's how all our products are designed. And do you do a final test across the bench, if you will, to see where you wound up subjectively compared to objectively? Oh, absolutely. There, there's continuous testing, you know, all the way, right? Um, once I get, like I said, the bandwidth and the distortion and the noise 
within the range, that's the rough draft. Um, that's the, you know, that's the character of what it's going to be. And then as I listen and, and tweak and, and analyze, I'm also, you know, routing, revising, improving, grounding, shielding, measuring to get the noise lower and lower and lower and distortion where it should be. So it's a, it's all, it's not one or the other, right? But the key is, is listening. Right. Um, if you don't, you can't design by ear only, and you right. shouldn't design by a test only. How many people make up ModWrite? At the moment, right, I'm thinking, I'm thinking here, uh, including, well, those on the payroll, physically here, including myself, there's six. I've okay. got um, one or two people that I consult. I, one or two people I consult with, but we're not a big. It's not a big company, you know. Um, it's like a family, you know, and every person is really key, right? Right. Um, right. Kristen, she's my VP. Um, she's also the head of marketing and logistics, etc. Um, I've got a team of technicians. Um, and uh and i'm you know ceo head designer head of qc final say on virtually everything um we could I have grown bigger i could have taken on investors i could have added engineers didn't want to do it hmm. why so it's never been purely a business venture this is not about how does dan get rich if it was how does dan get rich and this is all about business and about money then that would be the logical thing right you know, you, sure. you ramp up, you expand, you grow. Um, money has always been secondary to the passion for me, hmm. perhaps to my own detriment financially. Um, I could probably be driving a Ferrari out there if I'd done things differently, but I'm okay with that. Um, we've done well. We've done we've done great. Um, and 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 most importantly, the passion has always been there. Right, and that's important to me. To lose the soul of Modrite and make millions of dollars would not does not appeal to me. Hmm. Not that making million dollars does not not appeal to me. <laughs> Understood. But not at the at that expense. So. Is your son interested? Um, in so much as he works for me right now, uh, he does while going okay. to college. And doing a great job as one of my techs, he 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 enjoys it. Uh, does he want to take over the business? No. Really? He is on his way in the fall to the University of Portland to study mechanical engineering. Um, I'm not sure where my son will end up. He's very has a very sharp uh, mind, and he is a gatherer of information like you would not believe. Um, he doesn't really have interest in audio. He enjoys music. He's a good technician. Um, he started during COVID, you know, because it was tough, right? And um, so he started helping me out then. And uh, you know, it's a part-time job for him, full-time in the summers. Um, but no, he's he he won't run moderate. He'll do his own thing, and I want him to. Yeah, and that's great. Uh, that's and my daughter. Uh, she's eleven, but I don't I don't think she's going to want to. Write it. Well, there's still time for change. That's for sure. No, it's, maybe I, you know, Matt Weisfeld, right? Exactly. Sure. Who oh. will be on this podcast? I should say. Um, 
I think for your son too, the other thing for you that's great is if you wanted to buy a seat of uh, your favorite CAD package, he could be the operator for you. And then you don't have to worry about the information being let out of the family, so uh, to speak. Absolutely. And that's actually, that's actually a really good idea. Um, <laughs> if I was to pay to train anybody, you know, it, it, would make, it would make sense to me to invest in my son's resume, my son's skill set, and to have that, that in-house like that. Correct. Yeah. So it's in-house. You yeah. control it. It's in the family. It gives him yeah. a skill. The other thing that it could potentially do is really get him involved huh. in the business because he'll understand the casework and the electrical layout, and yeah. he might just gradually want to do it after maybe 10 or 15 Absolutely. years, not today, but certainly having the 3D CAD guy in-house that is your son, it's probably not a bad idea. <laughs> and he's going to need that skill in school. He's going you know, to need that. I had a conversation with Matt Weisfeld. Absolutely. I had a conversation with Matt Weisfeld um, last February at the BPI house, one of the last shows or you know, events I did before, before COVID. Um, and we had a chance to just chat about things. And he was somewhere, because uh, like a track here, but Matt did his own thing. And then later in life, you know, he did want to come back to the, to the company. But he told me, and this was very, it made a lot of sense. Early on, he was somewhere, and somebody in the industry said, told him, I said, don't, you were right to do your own thing and decide to come back. Right. Because at that point, he wanted to. His heart was in it. If my son were to choose after he goes out and makes his way in the world, that'd be wonderful. So, I have yeah. to ask about Kristen because I have met Kristen at Rocky Mountain probably in early 2000s. And the fact that she's still with you and Margaret says something. And it says uh, something in a positive light about you for sure. Right. Um, Kristen's been with me for, I want to say it's been 13 years. So I think it was Kristen you at, how early in 2000? Well, it was somewhere around 2000. You say early 2000. So. Eh, it's probably mid to late. It's it's probably 2000. I'm trying to think my first time. It's hard to remember. I would say 2007, 2008, maybe at Rocky Mountain. Somewhere around there. Yeah, she was probably probably just started working for me then. Um, yeah, uh, Kristen is not my wife. She's a dear friend. Um, everybody assumes that she's my wife. You know, we, we joke that that uh, she's my work wife. Um, That's right. No, she's she is married and a family of her own. Um, but she grew up in this rural community where I live in uh, Southwest Washington, and. Pretty much everybody that does or has worked for Modrite was met through through friends. It's, it's an interesting thing. I, I don't think a single person working here was hired through an ad or anything like that. And it's part of why we are the way we are, I guess. Um, yeah, but she's been with me, been with me the longest, and uh, she's a, she's my right hand. She's a rock when it comes to. You know, she's the yin to my yang. I'm, she's organized and OCD about things 
and I'm not. <laughs> and sometimes it <laughs> takes that, you know, in a business you need you need people that have have different skills. And um, so yeah, it, Moderate would not be what it is without Kristen. How many countries is Modrite in currently? Let's see. France, Germany, Denmark, Norway, Italy, Greece, Netherlands, Philippines, Vietnam, Hong Kong, China. I'd have to think. I'd have to think beyond it. Um, yeah, Europe and Asia have been have been good for us. Um, I pursued Asia pretty aggressively, and Europe would have been probably twelve years or more ago. The dollar was not very strong, and um, domestic sales were not great. And uh, at CES, it was at the Venetian at the time, uh, and I met different distributors. I, I got into Hong Kong, several different distributors I worked with until I arrived at the one I have now, uh, Hong Kong slash China. But we were doing brisk business in, in uh, China and Hong Kong for a time. And, um, and in Europe as well, when the dollar was weak. When the dollar became stronger, Europe sales tapered off. And then um, I guess I guess the 08 uh, downturn here is where I turned outward. That makes sense. And then in the last, I don't know, eight or nine years, it's been a shift back to more domestic, to where it's, it used to be like 60, 40 international. Now it's probably uh, 40, 46, or even 30, 70 international. Um, really? More domestic business, but I still have a decent international. Sure. Why do so, you think it is shifted? Is it just be because of the dollar? The dollar had a lot to do with it. The, the first shift, like I said, in 08, uh, me looking elsewhere, uh, the shift in the dollar caused things to slow down. Um, and about that time, I went off on different tangents design-wise and I really lost my focus as to what would really sell. Hmm. Uh, doing various tube amp designs, headphones, I was trying to find a path. And during that time, quite frankly, um, the market shifted. And all my European distributors were like, man, I want a $3,000 integrator. I'm like, I can't do that. Hmm. Sorry, can't do it. And so then I worked on some really high-end tube stuff. And we sold some, and it was really good. And I learned a lot from it. And I think we, we gained some cachet and some respect for it. Um, but then I found my way back to, um, you know, the Fauna stage, the, the, uh, the integrated, the new integrated, um, and kind of found, found momentum again. Right. So there was, a, like I said, there was a period of time where, and the reason we were able to sur survive during that time, I should explain, that the modification business is one branch of moderate ah. it's 90 percent domestic and it's all direct no dealers right right so that has kind of been the the cash flow engine consistently for a long time um you know and the, the manufactured products could be doing well or slower and they and they combine they always they always um you know got things done so 
I think the mod business was doing really well at the time when the dollar became strong. And so I was able to kind of rely on that while I took different directions. So that's why the company was able to keep keep moving forward. Um, and then Oppo, Oppo was the mod we were doing. I mean, talk about huge. Really? We were doing, I mean, five or six a week consistently. Wow. Every week. I mean, I had one guy that was just doing Oppo's. And they were scheduled out, you know. And this is $2,500 a mod. Right. So that was just, you know, that was in and of itself. And then we had our manufacturing and everything else we were doing. So that was good. Then Oppo says, guess what, guys, we're out. And I was like, oh, goodness, what are we going to do? You know. Um, so that really forced me to look hard um, back at our manufacturing again. And that's when I really uh, worked hard on the, on the 225. Um, and a funnel stage at a lower price. Um, and it took time. It took, a long, it took longer to get that to market than I expected. And I was getting close to releasing it right when COVID hit. It was just a soft release right before COVID hit. Mm. And then during COVID, of course, it you know went into full production. And, and that time is interesting because the audio market was actually quite strong. Right. I never would have predicted that. You and many others. But last summer, I was working. I was working five twelve every week. Just it was just me and my son. Kristen was working from home, and I was you know I was doing everything I could just to keep up. Wow. And, um, my one tech, she was having a baby. Um, another tech, he his age and various reasons, I was worried he would he, he caught the virus, so he was out of commission for a time. Kristen working from home. Um, another person got laid off during COVID. It was it was weird, and uh, <laughs> and I joke that something inside of me broke during that time because I really I'll just be honest I, I suffered serious burnout um, during during that time uh, you know <laughs> a lot of business will you know work twelve hours a day every day seven days a week and it's fine um, that's not my choice in life to work that hard. I'd rather have a life balance. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, you work, you work hard, you work what's needed, but if all you do is work and don't see your family, um, it's no good. You, know, mm -hmm. you may be rich, you may make a lot of money, but um, what do you really have? I, I don't measure wealth that way. So, you know, I got in the, I got in the groove of doing it, but it was a, uh, it was a pretty serious burnout. And, um, so it was a very interesting last year was a very interesting year. Looking forward to for Modrite, <laughs> what is the next step? Well, I'm glad you asked that. I am I'm really at a I'm glad to say that my period of burnout and and uh, COVID fatigue, whatever you want to call it, is past and I'm excited about the future. I've got a product in mind that I'm not going to say much about it except that it's a tube product. Okay. Um, it's going to be in the thousand to fifteen hundred dollar range, and it's going to be uh, uh, an accessory to be used in any system. Uh, some people know about it. I've posted about it, um, and I'm being consciously vague, I suppose. But it's affordable. If I'm right, it'll sell in volume, and I'm really going to focus on on products that that are just really good. 
and, and affordable. Um, I think the, the $3,000 price point per product, integrated at eight, it's essentially two or three products, right? So that, that price range is where I intend to focus. I think that's where most, I think that's where the future is and then where a lot of businesses. This market is, high-end audio has diverged, as many of you know, ultra high-end, stupid high-end, beautiful, gorgeous, you know, that few guys can afford, right? And and yep. and bless those that do it. And there and there's some wonderful companies that are making amazing, amazing products. And I and I fully support them. Um, it's not a business I want. It's not the type of business I want to be in. I'd rather do something that's, that's more consistent. Yep. And so, um, analog is going to be big. Tubes will always be in our in our thing. Um, I'm not a digital guy. I won't do a DAC design. Don't expect a DAC design from me. Not that I said I wouldn't do it, um, but it requires a consultant to do the digital work. And I did that, and it didn't work out. And I don't really want to go there again. And that is a perfect segue into my next question. Um, would you be willing to work with a consultant that was a digital designer but they need that person to do the casework. So it is a ModWrite product, mm -hmm. but the circuit is someone else. Oh, absolutely. I have a, um, I have a potential product. It's not digital in this case. I think it's okay to, yeah. Uh, Fern and Roby is a company that um, Christopher Hildebrand um, is the president of. And we are discussing a similar arrangement with a product in which his name will be on it. Okay. Um, so a bit kind of the inverse of what you're saying, but right. either way works, and either way would be acceptable. Um, on the back, it'll say you know engineering by mod, right? But all the casework will be Tectonics design, and the product will be a firm will be product, mm -hmm. uh, and it'll be our circuit. Um, conversely, if I met a digital engineer, that um, that we could <laughs> that we could have a meeting of the minds and and work something out, you know. He does the digital work, and maybe we marry it with tubes, maybe we don't, or maybe he just does, like you see, the digital work, and we put it in our casework. I'd be good with that. Okay. I'm not too proud to take someone else's engineering and and call it our own. Um, pride's not really a not really a uh, something that I gets in my way. Um, but the reason I haven't hired a consultant to do our own digital product. Um, I guess I just, it's really hard to, to um, coordinate our design with someone else's design. Understood. I did ask, I asked for a quote to, to do a turnkey design for something and the, the amount of zeros at the end of it was, was quite staggering. I said, thanks, but no. Because quite frankly, digital is, digital changes too fast too, right? Absolutely. So, if I had a relationship with someone where we had a, a licensing deal, either way, you know, his way, my way, where we could do that, it'd be, it'd be brilliant. But digital is too, too, uh, it changes too fast. Is your integrated built on a foundation such that it's modules? Absolutely. So it's, it is. Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad you asked. That's one of the key, one of the things I learned 
from the KWI 200 to 225, if you were to look inside, and there's photos online, um, the 200 was kind of a monolithic build. I mean, I put everything on one circuit board thinking, well, let's be efficient, right? So there's like, you know, five circuits on one big circuit board. Well, that's fine until something needs service. It becomes very difficult. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I wanted this design to be modular. Um, the other thing is being modular, you can redesign portions. So for instance, in the, in the 225, there is a power supply module. There is a capacitor bank module, preamp module, control module, power stage module, input stage module, etc. Every single left and right channel has their own, with the exception of the power supply, it's purple, stereo, preamp stage stereo. Um, if I wanted to upgrade the, the tube preamp stage, I could redesign it the same deal and drop it in. Nice. You know, and say, hey guys, I got a new, send it back in, I'll put a new board in it for X dollars. Boom. So, yeah, that's, and that was very important and a very good decision. Do you offer a phono stage such as your PX9 in a module for the integrated? Or does it have to be an external box? I do offer a phono module for the integrated. It's a $350 card. It is a solid state phono. It's an MM high output MC. It's good. Uh, it's intended for the, you know, the guy that listens to some vinyl, right? Casual it's, listener. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a card. It's about yay big, right? And, sure. uh, you know, so for that guy that listens to some vinyl, cool. Um, but the guy that really enjoys vinyl, you know, you know, instead of 350, it's it's 2900, right? Right. But that's a killer phone stage. And um, I decided not to offer a DAC module uh, again because a I don't I don't didn't want to design it, and B um, I could have made it modular, but again, <laughs> really tough. Uh, my, I tell people, I'm like, listen for. Three five hundred dollars, you can buy, right? Brand X DAC that's this big. You just sit on, you know, right? Yeah. And so and where does that? And that's exactly. And so that's my attitude. The two twenty five is something I see someone buying, and and keeping. You know, um, analog doesn't go out of date. You right. know, you can buy any number of DACs and, and plug them into the integrated, and off you go. Right. Uh, but you don't have to change out the amp or, or anything like that. Right. So, yeah. Dan, is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should have that you would like to share? We haven't talked about vinyl at all, and that's that is a passion. Of okay. Mine. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll be brief, but I think vinyl is the way to reach younger people. Um, the resurgence of vinyl. Um, I've always liked vinyl. I've always thought it sounded great. Digital's come a long way. And I like digital, and digital is convenient, and there's good digital. Um, but I'm really passionate about about um, analog, and I think that um, I think it's going to continue, and I think it's important. Uh, and like I said, I really hope that it is the bridge that helps uh, young people get introduced to high-end audio. Um, so yeah, is it possible at all to produce a $1,200 integrated for that young 20-something college kid? 
Well, Eric Shook, if you're listening, um, he wants me to do this. You got to do this. It can be done. It's not a place I want to go. Um, okay. It would pretty much require Class D amplification, which I'm not a fan of, or a chip amp design. Um, much of it would have to be outsourced from Asia. And um, I know of a company that's, that's done it domestically, and they're doing well with it. Um, I hear it's great. So it, I guess it can be done. It's it's that's too low of a too low of a price point for me. Understood. Not enough. There's not enough meat there. So I get it. Yeah. Dan, I want to thank you so much for your time. You. I really do appreciate it. I, I want to thank you. Um, you approached me, and um, I, I'm just really grateful. I love what you're doing. I thank love you. the way you do the interviews and, and why. Um, you know, this is not a, this is not an audio interview. It's cool. It's all Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. For all everyone right. listening, I'll put the links below. Please go visit Dan at modright.com. He is on audiocircle.com. I want to mention that, that he does have a circle at www.audiocircle.com. And there's a modright circle there. He's very active on that, and you can also um, communicate with other owners. Thank you so much, Dan. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening. Find us on YouTube and Facebook at the Intellectual People Podcast and online at the intellectualpeoplepodcast.com. Check back for exciting new episodes.